to the Untold Stories of Real Estate Investing, hosted by Wayne Courageous III, a place where active and passive investors come to hear the good, bad, and ugly of real estate investing. Our guests consist of experienced operators and investors who want others to succeed by sharing their stories. If you're looking to syndicate deals or grow your wealth passively in real estate, you've come to the right show. It's now time to sit back, take mental notes, and enjoy our next episode of The Untold Stories of Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the Untold Stories of Real Estate Investing. This is your host, Wayne Courageous. Today, I'm excited to have William Hollis. Hollis is the principal of 24 Capital Group, a real estate private equity firm based in Connecticut that specializes in helping real estate professionals take back their time and own their futures by investing passively in cash flow and real estate deals. Hollis's passion for real estate began when he was a kid, watching his family's landlord collect rents. As he got older, he became an expert in creating opportunities and finding deals and is committed to staying at the forefront of the latest technologies. Hollis is also dedicated to sharing his knowledge and expertise with others, regularly speaking at real estate conferences across the country. After growing 24 Capital Group's asset portfolio to over 80 properties in 2022, Hollis is excited to tackle new opportunities and to continue making a positive impact on the real estate community. Welcome, Hollis, to our show. Thank you for having me. I really, I really appreciate it. So obviously I read, you know, the template you sent, but there's a lot more to you. And uh, I'm super excited to get to know you and, and uh, share your knowledge, obviously, with our our listeners. But uh, tell us more about yourself. How'd you get in real estate investing and uh, anything else you want to share before we get going? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I love uh, telling this story because just like you, I put a little tidbit in the bio about my landlord collecting rents when I was a kid, but that really was what gave me the bug to begin with was uh, I grew up in Hollis, Queens, just like my name. Okay. And uh, my landlord's name was Mr. Carter. Mr. Carter came around every first of the month in the 90s, stuffing hundreds of dollars into his wallet. By the end of the day, collecting all the rent in the neighborhood, the wallet wouldn't even fold. It was so thick oh with hundred dollar bills. And I remember sitting one day, like six or seven, eight years old, looking at Mr. Carter thinking, I need to figure out how to do what Mr. Carter is doing. I don't know how he's doing it, but um, he seems to have it figured out. So that's kind of what gave me the real estate bug. But to be totally honest, growing up in that community and not necessarily having the financial education and, and uh, mentors necessary for a long time, I thought that investing in real estate was something that'd just be totally out of reach for me. You know, growing up in New York, real estate was, was expensive way before the COVID pop, right? So um, it really just seemed seemed like something unattainable until a buddy of mine took me to a real estate conference that was uh, near, near where I live now in Connecticut. And we learned all about uh, how to wholesale real estate, which is basically being a deal finder, kind of getting scrappy. And so that's what I, that's how I got started going out, finding deals for other investors. And um, after a while, I just realized, man, I just created another job for myself. It's not quite <laughs> what Mr. Carter was doing. right? Yeah. So I started to try to figure out how to purchase some of the real estate myself and mm -hmm. came back to the same problem. Real estate was still expensive in the Northeast. But I realized when I started looking at larger deals that the numbers started to make a little more sense when you bring partners on. And so I kind of became educated in that. And that led to me, you know, starting my firm 24 capital group. So how many years have you been doing this, uh, investing in real estate? So, um, the beginning of that wholesaling journey was maybe about, about six years ago. And I did that okay. for two or three years. And then, um, last year I switched over fully to, 
um, you know, the private equity side, um, helping other people invest in the real estate deals. Nice. So let's talk about wholesaling. We haven't really talked about that much on our show. So I'm actually really interested in, uh, in that. And what, what were, what was your experience with that? What was sort of like your daily grind? Uh, because it was very, I'm sure very transactional because you're finding deals and trying to, you know, finding those investors. So, um, different types of, of work in real estate. One is very transactional, which I would assume wholesaling was for you. Yeah, really, really transactional. Um, if you don't like talking to strangers, it's probably not the not the <laughs> business for you. <laughs> uh, so really, it was a lot of cold calling. Um, you know, going out, seeing properties, negotiating contracts. I think it's a great um, entry point into the world of real estate because it doesn't. You don't need necessarily need to put a lot of capital into it to get started. I mean, you could. Um, but you don't have to, and I, I didn't, and you can do most of the things yourself. You know, you kind of make your calls, get your lists, make your calls, um, go see the properties. You start to learn really how to analyze deals. And, um, that's really helped me a lot in giving me the background of really how to underwrite deals. I mean, underwriting in multifamily and, you know, at the portfolio level, it's a little bit different, but at the it's most of it are the same. Like you know, the, yeah. you have your expenses you got to look for. You got to check the value of the comp, uh, comparable properties um, in the area. What's sold? What's the going rate for this? What's yeah. that going to cost? So wholesaling is what taught me that. But it is it's a grind. It's a grind because as soon as you stop making those phone calls, the deals stop coming and the money stops coming. So yeah. um, it's a different world for sure. So in wholesaling was this mostly in single family? Yep. Single family and small multi. And how did you find those lists? Great question. So there's a few different methods you can use. Um, one, you can go on like your county tax assessor's website and basically pull a list of everyone who's delinquent on their taxes. So okay. when you're looking, when you're wholesaling deals, your biggest point of leverage is the, the distress of the seller, right? So somebody who has to sell their property for whatever reason, they have a very tight time frame. They don't have time to go to a realtor, put it on the MLS, wait for somebody with an FHA loan to close in 45, 60 days. They want to close fast, right? So basically you have to go find those people, people who are going to be foreclosed on, people who have tax liens, um, people who need to move for work is a great one. Mm -hmm. And another little secret nugget that I started doing toward the end was just going to the realtors. Because usually when people even if they're in a time crunch and they need to sell their property quickly, they still call a realtor first, right? That's the way you think to sell your home. But at the end of the day, not everyone is really in a good position to sell their house uh, with a realtor on the open market. I mean, the realtor is going to want you to fix up the house. They're going to want to bring people through your house. Not everybody's comfortable with that. So when you go to a realtor and you say, hey, I, I have the ability to execute on these deals. I can bring buyers to these deals or I can buy the deals myself. The realtors can be an excellent little secret resource uh, for wholesale deals. Yeah, no, I I think that's a great strategy uh, for sure. Because I know a lot of people, like you said, they don't want to have the whole marketing process of people coming in their house. I mean, especially with uh, in our household having three kids, it was awful. We went to Arkansas on a camping trip um, and we cleaned our house really good before we put our last house on the market. That And so we, we stayed away for that week. Luckily, it one under contract that week. But yeah, if you're living in it and you've got pets and other things, you know, man, that realtor uh, strategy is huge. The relationships, anything in real estate across all assets, you know, the, the relationships is key. Um, now, seems like finding your list 
you know, that's all hard work. Are there programs or softwares that are outside of the appraisal and tax filing? I mean, I'm sure now everything's monetized and I'm sure six years ago when you were doing it to today, a lot has changed. Those that may be getting into it today, is there a a software you're aware of that just makes that even easier? 100%. So there's a great software. It was actually, it actually came out around the time that I I got started uh, called PropStream. And I could uh, put a link to that. Um, in the show notes, but, uh, but it's a great software. It actually pulls all, all sorts of different lists from bank foreclosures to tax foreclosures to um, high equity landlords. So it'll pull a list of people who have owned a property for, you know, 20 years during the bottom third of their mortgage. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a ton of equity, but maybe they're older. And you can also filter for um, non-owner occupied, right? So, so it's, this is a landlord who's had this property for a long time, has a ton of equity, and he's probably a little bit older. Maybe he's looking to retire. Sure. You know, that's somebody you can give a call and maybe he's not thinking about selling the property, but make yeah. him an offer and you never know. Yeah, that's huge. Um, you know, we we did that on the uh, multifamily side. You know, we, we always try to find, uh, you know, in real estate investing, there's, we call it like red waters and blue waters. Red waters where all the sharks are going after the same meat. A lot of times the brokers are, you know, when a deal is on the market, everybody's, you know, maybe a year ago, even more likely to go after it. Now things gotten a little slower, but, but you're, you're finding through that sweat equity Hollis, you're finding that blue water where there's more opportunities by going direct, like the guy who may not think about selling, but Hey, you called him and now at least starts that conversation. And then it yeah. builds the timing too. Cause maybe in a year or so, they start thinking about it and then they can save potentially on the commission fee, which makes it a little more enticing for people like yourself. So it's, it's relationships and then hard work, grit, and very transactional. So yep. two more questions on that before we switch uh, gears. Uh, what type of money is made and how is it made when you do your wholesaling? Great question. So on the, in wholesaling, you make what's called an assignment fee, right? So as, because you, I didn't have my real estate license, uh, real estate agent's license. So you're not able to collect a commission on any real estate transaction without a license anywhere in the country, but you can make what's called an assignment fee. The assignment fee happens where I come to Wayne and I say, Hey Wayne, I'll buy your house. You say, great. Give me a hundred thousand for it. I said, all right, cool. I'll give you a hundred thousand. We sign a um, purchase and sale agreement, standard mm-hmm. agreement for $100,000. That gives me the legal right to your property. No one else can come and buy your property because I have the papers on it, right? Okay. So from that, I go and find a real estate investor and say, hey, I've got this fantastic deal. Wayne's going to sell me this property. You give me 110000 or 105000 or whatever number I can negotiate. And I earn that spread as an assignment fee. Okay. Um, at closing from the from the end from the end buyer. So the really, really you make your money on your ability to negotiate good purchase prices um with the sellers, which is why the distressed sellers are the way to go because they just you have higher leverage as a buyer uh from that standpoint. Yeah. I I always say I'm very selfish on these podcasts because like I ask these questions because I really don't know. <laughs> like that is incredible. And you know the listeners out there are listening, but I'm like, that makes sense. You're it, it puts it more aggressive for you to find the distress deals at the best price and then, you know, find those investors. So that was really my last, because I mentioned there were two more questions. So the last question on wholesaling is where do you find these buyers and these investors to, to yeah. go? Yeah. 
Great question. So Facebook is a fantastic place for that. I mean, I mean, everybody knows there's millions of groups on Facebook now for everything that you could imagine. And there are tons of local or, or local to each market. There are many um, real estate investor groups, you know, so that was one way we did it. We just go on there and say, hey, I've got a deal. The other way we did it was just building relationships in the first place. Like you mentioned before, if you call someone out of the blue and ask, hey, are you interested in selling this property? Maybe they're not interested in selling, but that starts a conversation. It also could start a conversation of them buying property because maybe they're not looking to retire. Maybe they're looking to expand. And you say, hey, I'm not interested in selling. And my next, the next phrase out of my mouth is, well, are you interested in buying? If the answer is yes, where do you want to buy? What are you looking for? Right. So now I know I you get, you know, 15 or 20 of those types of guys, and you gives you gives you a really good criteria of what types of properties, where to focus your own marketing efforts as the wholesaler. That way, when you get a deal, you know you'll have somebody who'll be interested in buying it. That makes sense. Uh, especially if you're having to put your own capital up first, a lot of risk capital. Um, you know, so so that was started out about six years ago. So what happened with the transition or how how did the transition go to more of the uh, short-term rental that you're doing now? Like, how did sure. Well, there was a, a few uh, a few bumps in the road in between there for sure. Okay. I feel free to share those <laughs> if you want, you know. <laughs> I um I went away for a couple of days, for a couple of weeks, I believe it was. And um, I just had this thought in my mind because the whole time I still had a W-2 job. I still do now. I'm a software engineer. And um, this thought just came to my mind that I'm not making any money in my wholesale business right now because I'm on vacation. (laughs) You know, so um, I said, man, I need to figure out. That's when I said I have to figure out how to actually buy some of these properties. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I did. I went in started learning to underwrite multifamily. Like I said, I realized that the, the bigger deals just make more sense. You know, getting two, 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 two uh, families and three families is it's fine, but it's a tough road. You got to get a lot of those, right? So looking at the big deals, I learned how to analyze them, bought some courses, you know, got some spreadsheets, <laughs> got a couple <laughs> of mentors um, and really got into it, started submitting offers on properties, which was great. I was getting out there, talking to brokers, building the relationships. I actually got some deals on the contracts, got a lot of no's, a lot of no's, <laughs> um, but got got some deals on the contract. And right around that time, COVID happened okay. right around that time. So um I had some single family deals I was looking at. One of those deals, the seller couldn't uh, couldn't move because of COVID, so that deal had to uh, got canceled. A couple of um, offers that I had submitted that were you know about to get accepted also kind of fell through. Uh, some of them fizzled out, like I just couldn't reach the person anymore. Um, so, you know, I had to kind of lick my wounds. I was I was a little bit disappointed. I felt like I was I was about to accomplish something. I was a little bit disappointed, but it, it was good. You know, kind of took a step back and um, looking at started looking at different markets, and of course things kind of just skyrocketed. The market took off, went went through the roof. And to be honest, I got a little bit uncomfortable with where multifamily was headed. Yeah. Uh, I was I started making offers on properties again and I was getting outbid, but by ridiculous amounts, like just unbelievable yeah. deals that, that were happening. And I was, it made me feel dumb. I was like, I was thinking, man, I must, My I must may be know how to do well, this. I don't, I don't do yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you were doing what you should have been doing. So that's awesome. I started looking at alternative uh, asset classes. Um, I met an operator who was in the short-term rental space already. He had a lot of success, uh, you know, on his own. And he kind of came to me with this idea. Um, 
that he was already had already started to implement of you know putting together a portfolio of short term rentals and um I really like the asset class because I'm a customer. I'm a buyer. My mm-hmm. wife and I, when we traveled, you know, we used to travel a lot before we had our son. <laughs> we used to travel a lot. And um, we always stayed in short Airbnbs, v- VRBOs. Yes. My, my group of friends, we go rent, you know, lake houses and, and things like that all the time. So it was an asset class I felt like I really understood well. And when I looked at what um, Techvestors is the group that I partnered with, when I looked at what Techvestor was doing, I was like, man, these are the exact properties that we I pay a premium for yes. to stay at with my friends and with my family. So um, I saw that they were doing it well and, uh, you know, decided to hop on board with them. Yeah. Once you start having kids, family and such, like the idea of going to a hotel isn't as exciting, you know, because especially when they're really young, because you're worried that you're going to wake up the people next to you. So having that freedom in the house, uh, short term uh, VRBO, et cetera. That, that's huge. Um, you know, I want to go back a little bit because I think one thing you had mentioned that you were you're on your you're doing W two, et cetera, and I think that's fantastic because during that time when you were looking at multifamily and stuff, you weren't having to be aggressive to buy the deals to make those to make some money. You were you were already covered financially through your your W two, and for anybody starting, I mean, that's huge having that. Um, safety net and that job that you're going in and grinding every day, but, you know, spending time after hours, that's absolutely the right way of, of doing it. Um, so, you know, kudos to you on that. Cause I think that, you know, it allows you to step back, say like, Hey, you know, people are putting a million dollar offers on top of what I thought was, I mean, it's, was crazy. At least, you know, in Texas, I'm sure all over. And you, you did scratch your head and be like, ah, this is, this is getting a little aggressive. I yeah. liked it too that you switch gears, you know, uh, to you know, like, hey, multifamily maybe getting a little too more aggressive. So you went to something that you were comfortable with and that you know, and I think that was that's something that's huge too for listeners is uh, buy in markets and buy in investments that you know, and that's why a lot of people do apartments because we all have lived in an apartment at some point in our True. life, right? Um, so no, those are two uh, two things I picked up when you were going through, um, through that yeah. of how you got into single family rentals. One thing it was single family rentals though. And I'm noticing, cause I'm starting to, you know, I, I, my wife's from Montana and every time we go to Montana, I'm always like, Oh, how do we get up here in the, in the summer? I don't want to be there during the winter. I want to be in Texas during the winter there in the summer. But I'm noticing that a lot of, uh, I don't know if it's just because COVID a lot of people bought in Montana and now they're having to go back to work or everybody just had this idea of these short-term rental ideas of like, Hey, I would just run it out and be fine. But it seems like I'm noticing that those type homes are sitting longer. And then I had a a call with a, an investor and a a good friend earlier this week. It just so happened to be, we just, she owns a single family rentals, short-term rentals in I believe Tennessee. And she's noticing that the people that had money during COVID would were her customers like the people that wanted to do a day drive or whatever to go to but now those same people are all traveling overseas because it's like the covid you know it's like the, now you can go overseas so now it's bringing in residents or people not residents but tenants or uh vacationers whatever you want to call them that aren't the most ideal so i guess my question to you on that is are you seeing a trend where 
the vacancy on short-term rentals are, are higher. How are y'all um, adjusting to that and really trying to keep up with the competition since so many other homes are listed as a short-term rental? No, it was a lot there. So no, this is a, this is it, just, it just so happens to be like I talked to her and I'm like, <laughs> you know, she seemed like she was uh you know not as excited about owning short-term rentals, I should say. So yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely, you know, there's definitely a lot more inventory out there than there was pre-COVID. I think to your point, people kind of got the bug, right? A lot of people were just sitting around watching Netflix HGTV and it was like, oh wow, let me just go, let me go out and do this, right? Um and there is obvious, obvious seasonality in each market, you know, to your point, like Montana, no one's, I can't think of any reason to be in Montana necessarily during the, <laughs> during the winter. I don't know if they're skiing in Montana. Maybe oh, a lot of beautiful skiing. Yeah. But, but too for me. Yeah. Same, same, same. Um, but, and here's the nugget. Here's the, here's the kicker. There's only competition if you have competitors. So Alex Hermosi talks about this idea of commoditization where we'll go to the grocery store. We're only willing to pay three bucks for a, a, a carton of milk because that's how much milk costs. There's nothing special about this milk. Maybe we'll pay more if it's organic. Okay, maybe we'll pay more if it's, I don't know, farm fresh grass fed cows or whatever people are doing now, right? Okay, but there's a ceiling. Like this is milk at the end of the day. We, I'm not going to pay... $25 for one carton of milk. Yeah. It's not going to happen. But when you create something that is so valuable to people, right? That you have an experience behind it, you've gone beyond and kind of transitioning back to Airbnb. You've gone beyond just offering someone a place to stay. Mm -hmm. I'm offering you a vacation in your vacation. Yeah. The homes that we've created are so incredible. I, and I'm not taking credit for any of this because I'm not on the design team or the acquisitions team or any of that stuff. I just get to sit over here and reap the benefits and talk about it on podcasts. <laughs> like, for example, we have properties that have a pool, a jacuzzi, a mini golf course, a little beach built into the property, an oh, wow. outdoor tiki bar, a game room inside with arcade games, pool yes. tables, this ping pong tables. This sounds above my budget. <laughs> but, but that sounds amazing being, though you're right what, it, they're, they're, incre they're incredible yeah but the point being there's not a lot of competition at that at that, that level makes sense okay you know what i mean so yeah. for us occupancy has actually stayed pretty even because yeah. when you there's a bunch of different analysis tools you can go go look at you know revenues for different um markets for airbnb and when you're in uh below the 75th percentile of revenue Yep. ton of competition and that's when you get into you become commoditized and you're in a race to the bottom who can charge the least for their carton of milk yes but when you're in the top 90th percentile of revenue yeah it's because your product is so good people will pay almost anything for it yeah so, i wish i was ready to transition our conversation into niching and 10xing we're not there yet because i really want to learn more about short-term rentals so um all right so for those that are getting or thinking about doing short-term rentals, maybe the home that they're living in or looking to, to go buy a, like myself, you know, a home and maybe renting it out. What are, um, what are some things, some lessons learned that you have experienced in finding maybe not those high end tier 
niche properties, but, you know, other properties that are a lot more attainable for the average person to, to go um, do it without pulling money from other people. What are some lessons learned that you've seen and um, any advice that you would give, give them, you know, to protect their property from people that could vandalize and cause, you know, issues? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, so something we're doing right now outside of that portfolio, you know, we're building kind of a more personal, I do have a partner in that adventure as well, but it's a much smaller, like you said, we're not really pooling, you know, huge sums of money together. These yeah. are one-off properties. A few things we're doing um, is really, really drilling in on your market analysis, right? Understand where you're going to put your property because to the point you made earlier, some locations are attracting are going to attract certain types of guests and other locations are going to attract other types of guests right and just know that some people will destroy your property and other people <laughs> won't destroy your property and then on top of that even if you you don't need to get the most extravagant property to rise above the commoditization it's really all about the level of design effort you're going to put into it, the types of amenities you're going to bring into your property. And I actually, it's funny, I just had a post about this and I have um, like a top four amenity list that I've seen uh, from the experience with the portfolio that's really made us stand out. And these are not insane things. I'm not telling you to go build an in-ground pool in your property, but uh, maybe adding a game, like add, add things that will attract families to your property um, or even groups of friends to your property mm -hmm. that, and that way you can charge a premium and you're getting people who are less likely to destroy your stuff. Yeah. If you're in the bottom tier, there's, you're going to get people at the bottom tier. Absolutely. How do y'all manage those assets? You know, are you working with a local property management company that would manage like your traditional single family rental? Or are there specialized management companies that do the short-term rental management? Great question. So to my knowledge, there are specialized short-term rental companies. In fact, I, a buddy of mine, one of my partners owns a company uh, like that where they, where they do manage um, short-term rentals. But this is what I tell everyone to do. And this is something I preach. And it's kind of my entire investment thesis is built upon this fact. Yeah. Go out and partner with others. So of the short-term rentals, that I'm, I'm partnered on. I don't own, there are none in Connecticut that I can just go drive to and fix, you know, the pat, patch the hole in the wall myself. Um, I've partnered with people in those markets who are boots on the ground at the portfolio level, the same thing. In all those markets, we have boots on the ground. We have partnerships with people. And there's a difference between a partnership and just hiring somebody. Because mm -hmm. when you hire somebody, we all know how that goes, right? It's it's hard to find good help at the end of the day at all levels in the professional world and in all asset classes. But when you partner with somebody and they have skin in the game, so to speak, right? Their their income is based on the performance of their property, right? Yeah. Then now you're getting a different level of service. You're getting a different yeah. level of assistance, a different level of commitment. So when it comes to managing a property, you know, obviously not everybody lives in a market that's favorable for short-term rentals. Maybe you live in Montana and it's like, man, this is, <laughs> don't want to be here in the winter, right? So you buy a short-term rental in Texas or, you know, in the Carolinas or something like that. Mm -hmm. Find a partner in that market. It's, it's okay. You can share some of the income. Mm -hmm. It'll be better for you in the end. Find a partner in that market who can bring, you know, bring you that expertise. Yeah, that's huge. Um, so talk to me about the group that you're 
more partnering with? You mentioned it was tech. Tech investors. Yep. Tech Tech investors. So talk talk to me about tech investors. How are, how uh, are people that are listening? uh, And we're not closing the podcast yet. I know it's sort of a question sort of prep for that, but what, what is tech investors doing? What's your involvement and you know, how are you um, bringing value, et cetera, to your investors through them? Yeah, sure. So my fund partnered with Techvestors on their um, short-term rental fund one. Um, fund two is live now. Um, so uh, my fund is, is an investor in in the Techvestor fund. So okay. we partnered with them on, on those properties. Um, you can find them at GoTechvestor on Instagram. Techvestor.com uh, is, is the website. Uh, but their, their team, what attracted me to that group yeah. is that their team is phenomenal. Each of the um, everybody in the C-suite on that team, you could call it, each of those operators had a very successful short-term rental portfolio in their own right. So in, you know, some of them were in Arizona, some of them down, down in Florida, but they had their own portfolio that was already successful. So they understood very clearly, you know, how, what, what was, what was going to be required, what type of team was going to um, be required in order to make it successful on, on a large scale. And with that, they were able to create a fully vertically integrated um, short-term rental company, operations company. So from acquisitions to construction, to cleaning, to dispositions, to financials, accounting, legal, all of that we have in-house uh, at, at Techvestor so that uh, one, it hedges against costs, two, so much more buy-in from everybody. I mean, there, there's just an endless number of benefits that come from being vertically, vertically integrated. And uh, you know that's what they were able to bring to the table. So when I saw that opportunity, I was really excited to you know bring that to my investors and, and um you know, have them take advantage of that. Well, the other thing too, for your investors as well, it's like similar, like a syndication multifamily or other syndication is you're, you're reducing the risk, diversifying the risk for them. Cause instead of them, the investor going out and buying maybe that single family uh, or short-term rental themselves and having to put a larger down payment and then have to have the headache of what my friend was telling me about in her Tennessee properties. Instead, it sounds like they're investing uh, into a fund. That fund is investing into a much larger organized uh, uh, platform uh, and deliverability because it's vertically integrated. So I think that's 100%, 100%. great. So what are you seeing from a return standpoint uh, consistent um, with Techvestors and just your fund and uh, and what's the minimum investment? Uh, so fund one is closed. Um, so... <laughs> minimum investment is you can't get in at this point. <laughs> Shows there was demand, right? Shows there was yeah. demand. That's yeah, awesome. fund, fund two is open. I'm not involved in fund two. My fund, my fund was in, in uh, fund one. Um, our minimum investment on that was uh, 25000 I believe. Um, and, you know, our the pro forma was a two, 2x um, equity multiple over a three to five year period. Um, and the, the fund is is performing very, very well. Uh, the last projections that we, uh, sorry, the last uh, report that we, the quarterly report um, mm-hmm. had us uh, well above above the pro forma numbers, um, you know, based on where we're supposed to be at. Because the thing with the uh, asset class, like there's a really anytime you're doing like a value add, right? There's that ramp up period where you Absolutely. have to kind of get things live. But we started distributing two quarters ahead of time. That's awesome. So uh, the, the team is absolutely phenomenal. Good. Well, and you mentioned that 25,000 entry level. That is very doable for many people who may not be able to go, again, want to or can get into a short-term 
uh, rental on their own. And so pulling money, that's, I mean, it seems like a much, yeah. and obviously it's a very passive way of doing it, especially if you've got other career or family ambitions, et cetera. So, yeah, all right. Absolutely. Switching gears. Uh, we've got about five minutes left here and I want to really touch base because you got really excited before the show to talk about how niching, you know, go finding a niche can help 10 X your game. So tell us all about what's on your mind about, 10x and i'm i'm very interested in hearing about it because yes yes absolutely so um the fact of the matter is and this really kind of applies to anything in life but the fact of the matter is especially in real estate that's something i learned in wholesaling there are so many steps in required to get a deal done right just think about it at a high level i need to find a property need to find some money i need to you know get get the deal closed which means i need to find debt i gotta find an attorney I have to find all of these things and we're just at the, we haven't even really closed the deal yet. And we we already have, you know, five, five steps in the process and trying to do it by yourself is really difficult to scale at the end of the day, right? You need a team that's going to help you. And the fact of the matter is when you're getting started, depending on, you know, what your financial circumstances, you may not have the money to just go out and kind of hire people and pay the premium required to just, you know, kind of construct your team that way. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is skill yourself up, become a master at any of those steps in the process. And there are other people who will come looking for you, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're on the wholesale side, for example, you become an expert deal finder. And now the buyers, the investors come looking for you. Hey, Hollis, you got a deal, you got a deal because they know you're an expert deal finder. 10x that Become an expert at finding two-family deals under two hundred thousand dollars in this zip code. Yeah, I get all. If you're the person who gets all of those deals, and that's all you're focused on, you're so laser focused, you will see a much greater result than if you said, "Hey, I'm looking for any type of property anywhere in the state. I'll do. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything." Mm-hmm you're going to really struggle. And especially if you're trying to do multiple things. And so that's kind of what's helped me on um, the, the equity side as well. For a while, I was trying to do like go out and still find the deal, still build a broker relationship, still go find the debt, still find the equity, still do all of these other, you know, all these other things. Now I help real, real estate professionals invest passively in real estate. That's all I do. <laughs> this is one thing I do, and the result has really, really um, 10x. So that's why I'm so excited about it because you don't have to be a jack of all trades. Go deep, not wide, and you'll see a much, much better result. Yeah. So on your niche, finding passive investment opportunities uh, for for passive investors, they're trusting you that you're you're um, doing the grunt work of analyzing, finding sponsors, etc. So. Uh, talked about how obviously that niche is sort of in your passion and and what you enjoy doing. So if, if you're going to niche into something and, and niche into something that you have passion about, you know, if you have no passion for talking to people, investor relations and capital raising may not be <laughs> it, right? But underwriting may be more your thing. Exactly. So talked about how your niche and sort of how you're separating yourself to best serve your investors. Yeah. And, and really it goes back to your point. I love talking to people. Um, My wife may hate that about me. I'm the type of person, we sit down at a bar 
I'm talking to the guy next to me. You better believe <laughs> I'm striking up a conversation. So um, it's something that I do, I think, a little bit differently from a lot of other operators that I hear. I really love the relations side of investor relations. I talk to all of my investors. I don't even have an online portal where you can just go sign up and invest in a deal without talking to me first. Yeah. I want to know who you are. And because I want to make sure that our, our values align. And the reason for that is I grew up with little to no money, mm -hmm. like lights get cut off every other month type mm -hmm. of type of situation. So I value when people trust me with their money. And the fact of the matter is, even though this is real estate and to, you know, all of us in the business, we're like, oh, this is so secure. This is, you know, we're, we're good. The fact of the matter is things happen. Everything could go terribly wrong and go straight down the toilet. Who do you want to be the person standing next to you in that situation? Is it somebody who you have no real relationship with? Maybe your values don't align. Maybe mm -hmm. you don't really know much about them. Or is it somebody who, you know, we've built some rapport. We have a, a somewhat of a friendship at least. And the deal is going terribly. And I can call you and say, hey, Wayne, this is not what you want to hear. But things are not going well. And here's how we're going to try to fix it. Obviously, it's an uncomfortable conversation regardless. But I'd rather have the uncomfortable conversation with a friend than a stranger at the end 100%. of the day. Yeah. Well said. And when people are getting into this industry, finding what you can bring to the table, because you're not going to be able to bring the experience. You're not going to be able to bring maybe all the net worth or all the liquidity, or maybe you don't have all the time to do um, asset management or underwriting, et cetera. But there's so much that you can do to become part of a team and niche, like you're saying, and become that person that it becomes an expert at it. Right. And people need that. People want that to scale because it makes it easier uh, for them to close deals. So, man, we talked about a lot today from wholesaling. And really what I got a wholesaling conversation is it's a bunch of grit, hard work, relationships, and just going after it. And when you're on vacation, you're not getting paid. Right? <laughs> just sort of like that's a big, big piece. And we didn't even talk about wholesaling before the conversation, you know, before this podcast, right? And then we talked a lot about the short-term rentals and uh, and then sort of the going into the uh, risk, uh, reducing risk by joining partnerships. And that's it. And not that's it. And that's what I love about so it is reducing reducing the risk. Um, there's so many, yeah. so many different, so many benefits to partnering. Um, whether it's at the syndication level or even just like you and a buddy getting together to, to make something happen. There's so many benefits to it. Absolutely. So I always ask this uh, last question and then we would love to hear how people can reach out to you. Uh, so this last question is, is what is your proudest moment in real estate investing? And then again, uh, just share how people can reach out to you. Sure. Um, <laughs> I remember the first time someone agreed to invest in a deal with me, that, that moment the moment I saw on my phone, the wire was sent. That's probably my proudest moment. Love it. Um, yes. There have been a ton of them. I think I've accomplished a lot of things, but that's one that I tend to play over in my mind a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like somebody sent me a million bucks or anything, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a small investment, but yeah. just that um, I had enough integrity and was bringing enough value and had gone to the respect of someone enough that they were willing to invest in me. I mean, anytime you invest in a deal, you're investing in the, the, the people operating it as well. Right. So Absolutely. Um, that, that was a very, very proud moment for me. And I still, I still think about to this day. Um, yeah. 
So, and then for people to get in touch with me, I'm on Instagram at REI Hollis. Um, follow me, DM me. I answer all of my DMs myself. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with you on LinkedIn as well at REI Hollis, but Instagram is where I'm most active. Perfect. Well, Hollis, so much information on this. Really appreciate your time and getting to know you and um, hope to see you at a conference. You said you were at Race Fest earlier this year. I was there as well. We were talking before the show. So we didn't we didn't catch each other, but next year in February, I think it's in Phoenix. Yeah, I think so. I want to go. I mean, it's such I've, I've gone two years in a row and it, there's so much value. Uh, 100%. Such great people. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Hollis. You have a great day. And uh, listeners, if you're into short-term uh, rentals or want to talk wholesaling, you know, reach out to Hollis. Have a good day. Bye, guys. That's all for this episode. We hope you subscribe, share, and leave a review of the show. For more information about passively investing in multifamily apartments, check out Wayne's free ebook by going to creipartners.com forward slash ebook. Also, follow us on Facebook by searching CREI Partners. This was the untold stories of real estate investing.